Good morning. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to share with you an, an interesting picture that I saw this last week and the, the, the caption that came along with it. Uh, since we're entering into this most holy season where many of our uh, American uh, Americans will set apart extra time on Sundays uh, for their favorite religious uh, activity, the NFL playoffs. <sighs> this is the caption of a photo I saw last week. It said, New Orleans Saints players huddle in a tunnel before an NFL football game. This is the picture. Now, uh, I know football fairly well. Uh, and as best as I recall, when you gather in a huddle, uh, you don't often do so holding hands and with your heads bowed. And you know, the, the cynical part of me, you know, and I, th I think we know what we're seeing here, right? The cynical part of me first thought, wow, this, uh, this is a sports journalist who wants to obscure what he's seeing. Tell us, oh, this is a huddle. Rather than saying Saints players pray together before an NFL game. But then another possibility came to mind, and one that's actually just as equally plausible in my mind the more I think about it. Maybe this journalist doesn't know what he's seeing there. Maybe he saw this picture and the best way in his mind to connect the dots, to make sense of what he was seeing, of men from different races gathered together in such a personal way, is to think they must be talking about football <laughs> and not something more. Either way, I'm left with a deep sense of the importance and the profound relevance of, our, of a request that an anonymous disciple made to Jesus 2,000 years ago when he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because whether you're a disciple of Jesus 2,000 years ago, a wide receiver in the NFL, a journalist who can't tell a huddle from a prayer circle, or one of us right here today, we are all invited to sit at Jesus' feet and learn to pray. And so we continue this series on the Lord's Prayer today as not just a prayer that we pray, but as an education and an invitation to pray, to come into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Last week, Pastor Jim got it started uh, with those first, uh, the introduction in the first petition. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And today we continue with the next, thy kingdom come. And as we do, my hope is that we would see these not as just simple words we've prayed together hundreds, if not thousands of times, but of a profound request that cuts against the grain of the world that we live in. And because it does, it's a prayer that I believe has the power to transform the world we live in and our lives too. You see, in this prayer, we're asking that God's kingdom would come. And I think it's worth getting into the weeds about what that means specifically today. Because these are three words that pack a punch. And they are, in fact, words that I think some of us pray with too much nonchalance. And it's entirely possible that after this sermon, there might be some of you today 
who no longer want to pray this petition. We'll see how this goes. So what's a kingdom? You know, it's, it's where a king rules. It's his ruling jurisdiction. And so the kingdom of God, to put it simply, is where God rules. It's where God is recognized as the true king and honored as such. When Jesus came, he describes his ministry in the book of Acts, or in the book of Luke, chapter 4, like this. He uses the words of the prophet Isaiah that we read today. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is all kingdom language. This is a description of God's ruling power at work over the things in this life that we are powerless to overcome on our own. And then Jesus goes on to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In Mark, Jesus begins his ministry preaching these words. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. In Jesus' ministry, he understood that he was ushering in a new kingdom. And at the end of his life, though Jesus made plenty of enemies along the way for the things he taught, for the miracles he did, that was not ultimately why why he was crucified. The sign fixed to his cross with the charges against him read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He was crucified for being a king. And in Revelation 21, In 22, we see the fulfillment of that kingdom. It's realized in full where the dwelling place of God is now with humanity and the throne of God and of the lamb who is Jesus are with them in their midst. It's the fullness of the kingdom where every tear is wiped away, every sickness healed, every scar redeemed, the mourning are comforted, and everything is made new. And hear this today, brothers and sisters in Christ. This kingdom is not just a future destination. It is not, uh, salvation is not about just getting our golden ticket to heaven so that we get in when we die. It is a salvation that comes to us here and now and persists until its fulfillment and completion in eternity. But the truth is that it is eternity breaking into the present. Martin Luther in the small catechism says this. In one of his famous phrases, what does this mean? God's kingdom will certainly come without our prayers, but we pray that it would come also to us. I love what he says here. It's such a great reminder. God's kingdom will come indeed by itself without our prayer. It's inevitable. It is coming and it cannot be stopped. And there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But when we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray that that kingdom would come to us today. Now here's why you may want to reconsider praying this prayer. 
to pray thy kingdom come. Inviting in God's kingdom. It is a prayer of submission. And a lot of us don't like to submit. We like to be the lords of our own lives. Thy kingdom come is a prayer of relinquishing the illusion of control that we have on our lives. Of letting go of our sense of being in charge of our lordship of our own lives. And in a very real way, when we pray thy kingdom come, we are praying against ourselves. We are praying against our ego. We are telling our ego, you are not in charge and you are not what this whole thing is about. When we say thy kingdom come, we are letting go and saying it is about the king of kings and not me. It's to abandon a worldview where we think that everything revolves around us. Thank you, Pastor Jim. And I think that that is really great news. And here's why. There was a paradigm shift that happened in this world in 1543 with the publishing of a book. And no, it was not one of Luther's books. A man named Nicholas looked into the heavens and he began to conceive of a cosmos in which the sun rather than the earth, was at the center. A heliocentric model, rather than a geocentric model. And so, in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus published a work called On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres. And since then, science has never been the same. In the geocentric model, where Earth is at the center, there were a lot of things that kind of made sense. You know, as you looked up at the tapestry of stars in the night sky, they all moved in uniform and predictable ways. But then there were also these things. The Greeks called them planetes, or planets. That's the Greek word for wanderer. Because these heavenly spheres, they wandered through the sky while the stars moved in elegant and predictable ways. The wanderers bobbed and weaved through the night sky. They looped and swooped around and they didn't seem to repeat the same path more than once. If you plotted the movement of those planets with the assumption that the earth is at the center, this is what it looks like. Each one is kind of doing its own wild thing over there. And if you put them all together, it looks like this, which is a total astronomical chaos of orbits. Who could make sense of it? Seeing when things went and where, and some moved faster than others, and some looped all the time, and some looped rarely. It was chaos. But then, Copernicus thought, if you place the sun at the center... Everything seems to make sense. Let's see it. You go from chaos to order. Copernicus was a man of faith, a believer in Christ. And it's no surprise to me that it ultimately took a man of God, someone who had prayed time and time again, thy kingdom come, to be able to look at the majesty of creation, the beauty and the mystery of the heavens, and conceive of a universe where we were not the center. 
You see, our world doesn't make sense when we have 8 billion self-proclaimed kings and queens walking around, staking our kingdoms, asserting our authority, living lives like the universe revolves around us. And we can look around at what this selfish and sinful way of living brings about and recognize that things in this world are not the way they were meant to be. Things in my life are not the way they're meant to be. And yet still, there is a paradigm shift when we in this individualistic, egocentric society, this culture that is all about living your own truth and preaches you do you with all of the catastrophic results that come along with it. The paradigm shift that happens when we start to think that this world might be closer to the truth if we stopped thinking it revolved around us. It makes a whole lot more sense when we self-proclaim rulers in our own domain, lay down our crowns at the feet of the king of kings. When we set aside my kingdom come and pray thy kingdom come, we live with the sun at the center. We look into the heavens to our Father who art in heaven, and he begins to to show us what this world looks like when we are not at the center. It's a kingdom in which he reigns, and through faith, when we put our trust in Christ and in his kingdom, then his rule comes to us in our lives. It starts to bring order to chaos. It brings comfort to the hurting. It brings healing to the broken. brings guidance to the wanderers, family to the lonely, and hope to the hopeless, forgiveness for the sinner. By his Holy Spirit, that work begins when you become his child. It continues today, and it persists inevitably and without fail into eternity where it is brought to its completion in the presence of the throne of God and of the Lamb in heaven in the fullness of his kingdom. You see, God's kingdom will surely come. And yet we pray that it would come to us. That where death once reigned, life would reign. New life, abundant life, and eternal life. That where fear, guilt, and shame once reigned, the redeemed can stand and boldly claim, I have been forgiven and I can stand without shame in the presence of the king because he calls me his son, his daughter. Where we were once in bondage to sin, we've been set free because the king of kings is mighty to save and he breaks every chain. And there is good news for the poor. There is sight for the blind, freedom for the captive because there is a king who doesn't lord his authority over others, but rather lays down his life for them. He laid down his life for us. And so the good news of the gospel is that we can set aside our own crown and come before the true king, that we are invited into his presence and we can say, Lord, your kingdom come and it will come to us. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, work in us the gift of humility that we would take ourselves off of the throne of our lives and, and see you there. Lord, that we would lay aside our will and trust in you, that your plan is greater than ours, that your timing is greater than ours, that your will is greater than ours, and that we can trust that when we pray thy kingdom come rather than my kingdom come, that we are better off and that we are on the path of a kingdom that does not fail, but always delivers on its promises. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.